0: This is Michael Cowan and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation.
1: You need to show people the worst possible harm that that negligence could have caused because that's what the case is about.
2: What I'm asking you to do is to focus on what you can control because that's where the power lies. The Dalai Lama uh, has a saying that in the face of anger, justice evaporates.
3: If you can't focus group it, you have to be very, very critical of your process
0: the facts aren't good, you can't create a miracle.
3: We can agree to disagree and be zealous advocates for our clients.
0: Quit worrying about looking perfect. You're not going to. That'll come in time, but you can still be an effective litigator.
3: Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation, your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer Michael Cowan.
0: Today on Trial Lawyer Nation we have attorney Dorothy Clay Sims and Dr. Oregon Hunter. Uh, how are y'all doing today? Good. Uh, tell me a little bit uh, about yourselves. I mean we have a doctor and a lawyer both. It's the first time we've had a medical doctor on.
2: So Dr. Hunter here is a a board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation, and he had a practice where he treated traumatic brain injury, psychiatric conditions, and spinal conditions for how many years? Forty?
1: From 84 on. Okay. To 2015. He ran a
2: brain injury clinic, and um, when we first uh, were married... And when we first started dating, he actually was the defense expert on one of my clients. And that was the ugliest deposition in the history of that county. (laughs) It was awful for, uh, we we just kind of went at it. But um, his practice is unusual because what he does is he watches videotapes of defense medical exams that are done throughout the nation. And then he generates a, a chart of everything the defense expert lied about. Like I just was looking at one of the projects he did today, and he said, "You know, the the he takes a quote out of the report. There's no damage to the shoulder. It was a normal appearance. And then he puts in the chart. They never looked at the shoulder. The patient was never gowned and never took their shirt off. Oh wow! Um, so I use him for those charts. Other lawyers use him directly through my firm, and uh, they use that for cross examination. He decided to research what percentage of the time the doctors lie." or misrepresent what really goes on. So he went back over 20 cases that he had, um, to see what percentage of the time they misrepresented what they did in the first place or the test results. And what percentage of the time did they misrepresent knowing they were being recorded?
0: Well, sad to say it was a hundred percent. The cases. That's Insane.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I really want to get in, in a little bit. I really want to get into that study. Uh, cause it was just mind blowing, uh, Dorothy was nice enough to circulate it around when it got published, and it was just mind-blowing for me to read it. Uh, You know, you always, you know, I guess still, after 20-something years, have some rose-colored glasses from time to time, and I just don't want to believe how bad it is in the real Mm -hmm. world, Uh, but it's bad out there.
2: It's worse than we realize. Unbelievable.
0: and Dorothy, uh, you know, you've you've helped me on some cases, uh, uncover some stuff on some on defendants' experts, and you know, I appreciate you the help you've given us. Uh, but I'm just kind of curious. You know, you've de- actually written the book, uh, exposing deceptive defense doctors, which is kind of if you have a doctor on their side, is the Bible that you need to get to figure out, you know, how to how to, how they cheat and how they lie. What got you interested in this to begin with?
2: Well, you know, uh, I had—I used to have a very large work comp practice in North Central Florida. I had a large firm, a, a large number of employees, and um, I noticed a pattern. About 60 of our clients were found to be malingerers by this one doctor, and he was Harvard-educated, very smooth, and he was given the same test, and it was the MMPI, the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. So Dr. Hunter, my husband, was going to the Mayo Clinic, And he was going to be doing, he was going to be administering some board certification tests. And I knew Dr. Butcher, who created the test, was in Minneapolis. So I reached out to him and said, Hey, will you come hang out with me at the airport? I just want to go over this test with you. And God bless him. He did. He didn't charge me. He spent half the day. He interpreted my own MMPI. And when he explained the test to me, I realized, Oh my God, they've been lying all along. This witness clearly misrepresented what took place. In fact, Dr. Butcher signed an affidavit on that case saying it, if that doctor had been a student, he would have flunked him. Oh, and wow. so I realized, you know, oh my God, it's worse than what we thought. And so I decided to take other tests and create and reach out to the creators of these other tests to see how they were being manipulated. And then one day I came home and I told my husband, I said, I want to just cross examine doctors and I'm probably not going to make any money in it. And he said, do it. And so I started showing up at depositions where no one knew me, including the plaintiff's lawyer. The court reporter knew enough to call me and say, Dr. and sos is being deposed. I'd show up. I'd say, I'm going to take the depo. And they would like, who the hell are you? <laughs> um, but ultimately, I ended up doing that. Um, and so it, it got bigger and bigger. And then David Ball started calling me at home at night and yelling at me, saying, uh, David Ball, the, the jury yeah. consultant, saying, you've got to write a book. Damn it. You've got to do it. And I kept saying, I hate writing. And finally, I I said, if you quit yelling at me, if I write it, will, will that work? And he said, yeah, I'll stop. So I started writing the book and it basically was years and years worth of various types of misrepresentations that these people did. And in the process, I began to research the backgrounds of the doctors. And my office manager at the time was a young man named Andrew Zimmerman. Andrew's very smart. He said, I'll work for you for one year. And then at the end of the year, he said, look, I want to go out and compete with you. I want to research these expert witnesses and get their backgrounds because I think that they're lying about even their degrees. And I said, do it. Great, because I didn't like that part of it. So he created a company. He's got a bazillion employees now. It's called ZS Information Group, and they do deep dives on defense experts. And in fact, I use them now. And recently we got a report from them where they said the defense expert didn't have the degree he said he did. And ultimately he admitted in deposition that he bought it online and the university never heard of him. Oh, wow. And that happens 40% of the time. 40% of the time, 40% of the time,
0: misrepresentations are buying
2: online. (laughs) Well, I don't know, but misrepresentations. Uh, It's more prevalent if somebody has a non MD because the state's vet MDs better, but PhDs, master's levels. It's shocking. One guy said he had a PhD in psychology. It was PE. Oops. (laughs) Well, you know. Yeah, Right. And one of the things we also do, which I encourage lawyers to do, is you write for the state file on every witness. We had one witness that was used by the defense a lot, and we got the state file, and there was a little handwritten note. You have to read every page. It said the witness that, that the doctor was fired for stealing for the from the poor patient's medical fund to pay for. Can you guess?
0: Drugs or women?
2: Women. Prostitutes. <laughs> and I asked him about it. He got up, walked out, never came back. Oops. Wow. Another guy uh, was arrested for urinating on his wife, not once, but twice. (laughs) Yeah.
0: How do you find this stuff?
2: Well, what we started doing is actually writing for uh, criminal records from the police department on the witnesses. And we're finding, oh, my God, this stuff is crazy. Another witness in Florida, when we did that, we found out that he assaulted a videographer. He jumped across a table and tried to assault a, a, a Plaintiff's doctor who had a cardiac condition. Um, very, very strange stuff out there. It's it's pretty shocking. We now go on mugshots.com, and that's how we determined that one witness was arrested for trying to smuggle cocaine on an airplane right after 911 when security was at its greatest. And he said, Oh shit, I'll throw it away. <laughs> oh, that fixes everything.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Fine, no problem.
0: It's just crazy how many just sociopaths get into the testifying industry that they have no problem lying. I remember I had much smaller stuff. I had a case where there was a radiologist and, uh, you know, he always said that everything's degenerative. No one's hurt. Um, And he claimed I I knew he got run off from the radiology group just because he was an ass. They didn't really like him there. And he said and I knew he was making all his living from testifying, but he didn't want to admit that. So he goes, well, what are you doing for living? Well, I'm teaching at the medical school. Because we had just opened a medical school in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. Well, you know, you do some open records request, and you find out, one, he's not getting paid to teach at a medical school. Two, he's not teaching radiology residents. Three, he's not teaching medical doctors or any kind of residents. He's teaching, he's doing like a, a one-hour volunteer radiology lecture for physician assistant students that are, you know, in mm-hmm. their program. Well, that's not teaching no. in medical school. That's trying to make yourself look like you're something you're not. Or someone said they were the team physician for the Atlanta Falcons, and they did an internship, uh, like in college, with the Atlanta Falcons.
2: Well, that's what this company, ZS Information Group, what they do is they get into the weeds about all that. Because, for example, some people will claim that they have a Medal of Honor. It's now uh, a crime to make to falsely make that claim. And so, you know, the, the witnesses bail pretty quickly. They verify... License chairs. we've had a number of cases where doctors examine somebody in a different state and they don't get a temporary license. And the minute you bring that up, they walk out and they don't come back. Wow. Yeah.
0: The, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's been some witnesses on the plaintiff's side that have done that, too. So I think we have to also do our own diligence. on You our do. People.
2: You I do. You have to make lie. sure.
0: Yeah. It's not totally a lie. There's one automotive safety expert who at one time on his uh, website said he went to the Air Force Academy. And he went there for like a week and dropped out which you know it's technically true I mean right but it's
2: not it's misleading well I went to Harvard I just walked through Harvard Yard but <laughs> right. yeah
0: so other than hiring zs information group you know you have a, a a doctor on the other side you get a report and and it just you've got a bad feeling about it or it's someone you see that says the same thing over and over again what are some things you can do to try to find out you know is this person on the up and up is this a legitimate opinion
2: well first of all if it's from the defense I presume it's not okay and what, what Dr. Hunter taught me was um it's actually from Sir Arthur Kenan Doyle in the Sherlock Holmes series it, presume everything they say is a lie including their name which actually has served me well including the name so I, I go through the report well first what I'll do is I'll have a nurse go through the report we combine all the medical records we OCR them and we bait stamp them I then save the report in Word. She goes in in blue and inserts every medical record that the doctor misrepresented or left out. And then she footnotes it. And so I know when he says, oh, you know, the MRI of the spine is normal. No, the radiologist said there was a tear and a herniation. Right, and so she inserts all that in there for me. And then uh, I'll have Dr. Hunter look at the videotape. He prepares the chart of all the things they misrepresented. I then go into the body of the report and insert everything they misrepresented. Uh, at which point um, I'll also, uh, if, if I'm not going to cross examine the doctor, because usually you know, I can do these and lead counsel can cross examine them. They don't need me to. I then uh, if I have uh, documents on the doctor, which I have stuff on probably over a thousand doctors nationwide, 30,000 pages for some of the doctors. Wow. Uh, I'll just share that. And then I have exhibits that I OCR combine and bait stamp. And then in the body of the report, I'll say, well, isn't it true? The creator of this test says this doesn't mean malingering. And then I'll say, see page 37. So I have it all in one document because I think it's hard to go back and forth from the report. So this way, my questions are inserted in red right after the doctor makes the statement. And that way, if the lawyer looks at the report, he'll know where in the body of the report to start questioning the doctor.
0: Yeah, and I found that it's like uh, on the background, you've been really nice about sharing things, but I think it's sometimes more economical to pay you to get the review you've already done of the 30,000 pages than to try to spend my time and read the 30,000 pages myself Even if you're nice enough to just share them.
2: My goal is to give it away because I think when we're all, you know, when we share this and and people now start just sending me demos of people I've never heard of and I just start a bank. And then someone else asks about it, and I Dropbox it to them.
0: And if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the, uh, to try to ask about whether you have something on a particular expert? What's the best way to contact you?
2: Just email me. It's my initials: D like dog, C like clay, S like Sam. At my name: Dorothy Clay Sims. D o r o t h y c l a y s i m s dot com.
0: Now, you mentioned, you know, that you all review the videotapes when the defense does a medical exam. Um, uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Now, in Florida, you have a right to videotape the exams. Is that?
2: That is correct. Yeah, that's correct.
0: For those of us that are in states that don't have that as a right, um, in fact, in Texas, I found an unpublished case that actually said it was uh, without some kind of evidentiary showing, it was a abuse of discretion to order an exam videotaped.
2: Here's what I would do in Texas. I would file a motion to prohibit the defense from secretly recording my client. At which point they file a response and pleading. They have the right to record a witness. They have the right to videotape a witness, etc. At which point uh, we then use their argument when we file the motion to videotape the defense expert. The reality is, and I'm working actually on a law review article on this topic with a doctor and some other attorneys. The reality is that. You now know in Texas, because of Dr. Hunter's work, that, that all of the people, even knowing they were videotaped, still lie. SEEK, S-E-A-K, is an organization that, that trains expert witnesses. They documented that defense experts get paid more than plaintiffs. Therefore, they have more motivation to misrepresent things. Now, in this current environment, Americans are videotaped without their knowledge or consent some 50 times a day. To say that a defense expert gets more protection than someone walking across the street is ridiculous, especially if you don't have the giant camera, and the tripod. You just send somebody in with an iPhone and a charger cord and say, just use your iPhone. It's not disruptive. The only downside is if the doctor's planning online. So, um, I mean, and and frankly, in Texas, you can secretly record people without telling them. I think that that has some negative ethical consequences, and I don't recommend it um, at all. But we have
0: have mixed ethics opinions on it. It's legal to secretly record. And then there are kind of contradictory ethical committee opinions about whether a lawyer can do it, especially in the litigation in, in this context.
2: Right, right. Well, it it turns the jury off and it it turns the judge off and it's kind of snarky. Um, But I think if you make the argument, look, if you're going to secretly record my client who's a witness, at least I can record your uh, witness uh, out in the open and giving you notice. And uh, this is especially helpful in the neuropsych field because it's incredible what we're discovering based on the recordings, substituting answers, changing answers, not giving the test they claim they gave at all. Yeah, one guy answered for the patient. The patient goes home after the evaluation. He then fills out and answers questions as though he's the patient and oh concludes these malingering based on his answers. He did that twice.
0: The test did detect deception.
2: It did, right. It was just not the plaintiff's deception. Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: Dr. Hunter, uh, if you don't mind, uh, can I ask you about, can you tell us about the study you've, you've done and you published? Well,
1: if you look at the reports of uh, the de- the defense uh, uh, physicians, and and you take the report at the face value, the, the doctor may say the patient uh, walked with a normal gait. I checked the strength, and it was normal in the arms and the legs, and the sensation was normal, and the reflexes were normal, and it, it all comes out. And the range of motion of the neck was normal. There was no spasms, and you go, wow, you know, it looks all negative, and 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 I, and I always think, well, maybe they actually did a good exam, and it really is correct what they're reporting in this this the, their um, document. But then I look at the video, and I go, oh my God, how how could this be? How how can they claim, for instance, that there's no atrophy, and they never had the patient take off their their uh, long sleeve shirt and long pants, so you could never actually see the limb. You couldn't see the thigh, calf forearm or arm, so there's no way you could actually detect atrophy, and then they would ask the patient to, to move their neck, and, and they would say, bend it forward, and they would be maybe sitting across the room, and they would they would know just by looking at a person 20 feet away that they moved it exactly 45 degrees. Well, there's just no way they could make these, these claims and support them because the video never showed them measuring and never showed them inspecting and never showed them checking the strength in the whole, in in the entire limb that they claimed they examined and never showed, showed them taking off the patient's shirt so that they could actually check sensation to various modalities, light touch, painful stimulus, vibration, proprioception, two point discrimination, et cetera because the limb was never exposed for them to examine it so when they claim well the the sensation was normal in all the dermatomes well it's just not supported by the video so i go how could this be and so i thought well maybe is it every single one of them and so i i went back and i've done i don't know a couple hundred cases now that i reviewed and i went back and i looked at 20 consecutive cases from over approximately a three-month period of time. This is from probably 2018, I looked at the cases. And and I looked at, I picked up several criteria that are the categories I was examining. Did they they ask the patient to put on a medical examination gown so they could actually look at the, the spine, look at the tissue? Did they measure strength in all the muscle groups that they're claiming are normal? Did they actually perform a sensation examination based on standard technique using a, a, a painful stimulus, light touch, in all the dermatomes or peripheral nerves? And so I went through these different criteria and then I, I, I looked to see whether they met them and, and no criteria did they, did they meet them. I mean, the most blatant, horrible example is they would say, the peripheral pulses were normal. Well, how do you check a peripheral pulse? Well, you have to, at the wrist, you have to be able to put your finger over the radial artery. And for instance here, and then yep. and the foot, you need to be able to have the <laughs> foot exposed so that yep. you can palpate on top of the foot or the side. Now this is radio,
0: head. Dorothy. So <laughs> our, our podcast. Okay. Well, just for <laughs> your information. So Dorothy's so, on us her arm and foot, Dr. Hunter was demonstrating on on our Zoom call. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so you need to be able to expose the, the tissue so that you can actually palpate. And if the doctor never had them take their shoe and sock off, there's really no way that you could do that. And so it, it's just it's just shockingly bad conclusions and and then many of the doctors use templates so that because they, they I guess they must be in a hurry because they, they don't read the report and the templates, they don't make any sense because perhaps the patient was there for a neck evaluation and they examined something to do with the abdomen well what does that do with the neck what is an orthopedist poking around the abdomen for here's, uh,
2: here's a great example of that we got a report that said the pulses in the lower extremities were normal at the ankles right the only there was one slight problem the client was an amputee he didn't have a, a oh leg but, so, yeah. so
1: if, you, if you actually read your report you, you pick that up. So most of the time these are, you know, they're they're dictated or they, they check them off and they're already on a template. And they never go back and actually look at it because the templates are just a template. And so they don't correct it. And so so then they sign it and says this report is accurate and correct. Well, they they it's I, I they can't support that. So it turns out that everything they do has a question as to whether it's valid because everything that you look at is not. So then Everything looks bad. And, and it's, just, it's just awful because, you know, here in medicine, we are trained to be ethical, thorough, and in a forensic evaluation, it, you ought to be able to step up your game because I mean, somebody's life and, and, and recovery depends on you doing an accurate, ethical job that you actually did what you said you did. And these doctors, when they were in their training in medical school and their internship and residency, I know they learned how to do it correctly because they would not have been able to pass. And so maybe they've forgotten how to do these these evaluations or maybe they just don't care anymore or maybe they're so jaded that they, they just willfully uh, misrepresent. But for whatever reason, they're no longer meeting the standards that you would expect them to, to meet as a physician, as a licensed physician. And it's just, for me, it's really sad and it makes me angry. And I, I just can't understand how they're able to maintain this and sleep at night. It's just—it's awful.
2: You know, you mentioned something: so how can they sleep at night? And that's a very good point because Michael it, it dovetails into what you said earlier. If somebody's a sociopath, um, if they're a sociopath, then you can't really trust what they're saying, right? Um, they don't have any compunction; they have no problem exaggerating or actually lying. Uh, And they're very good at, they're very smooth. And and so the best way to catch a sociopath is on the facts because they never really pay attention to the facts. And if you, you know, if you set them up in the deposition, doctor, why does it matter that the Romberg was normal? Oh, it's a very big deal. It rules out injury. Then in trial, you point out uh, you never did it, right? But you got to do this a certain way because lawyers that jump into this and say, oh, wow, this is great, doctor, you lied, you didn't do this test. They'll make something up and say, oh, well, this is a different way to do it. So you right. have to establish in the deposition, oh, so, you know, you stand there with your feet together, your hands down. That's the um, Romberg, right? Romberg, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you establish in the deposition that's how it's supposed to be done, and then in trial you show that they didn't do it. Because it's really tough if they're a sociopath, and I think a lot of them are.
0: Yeah, I and mean, that's the problem. Sociopaths, they don't get – they don't sweat. They don't get upset. They right. don't react because they they just – they don't have normal human reactions because they just don't care. um, Exactly,
2: right, they're not worried about, they don't, you know, exactly.
0: And that's why they make such great witnesses because they look look good and they look credible even though they're just lying out their teeth.
2: Right, exactly.
3: Each year, the law firm of Callen Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and company vehicle cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We have experience finding potential defendants that other firms miss and we've added millions of dollars to cases by finding these sources of recovery. If you have a catastrophic injury or death case where the policy limits appear to be insufficient, give us a call. If we can find another defendant, we can partner on the case and if we can't, then we won't ask for any of the fees. You can reach Delisey Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawhernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. And now, back to the show.
1: I wanna make a comment about the video. We can look at reports, we can look at transcripts of evaluations, but the key is you you really need to be able to look at the video. To me, an example would be if, if there was a car that was damaged and you wanted an engineer to go out and look at the car, and and evaluate the, what what was left of the vehicle that had been through a crash and was damaged. And then they wouldn't allow any kind of recording or video of what the uh, examiner actually looked at. So then the examiner would go to trial and say, this is what I saw, and there'd be no way to, to know whether that was actually correct or not. To me, that's the same way a physical examination is. is if, if a doctor's gonna do a physical examination, in, in, in my case, it's orthopedic and neurological examinations that we focus on. If there's no way to know whether the doctor actually examined the patient and did the test, and there are standards for how these tests are done, if we can't show that they did them the way that we, we all have agreed to in medicine, that this is the standard technique for evaluating sensation, for instance, that they can't support their findings, and so the key really is the video. and And I know that that is is going to turn eventually, because if if the courts and the legislature understands that there is there's a fraud uh, occurring to this magnitude, that there is no way that the, the videos are going to be able to be kept out of evidence, and it will, it will the the corner that it'll turn. The tide will turn and it will allow to have transparency is really what we're looking for here. And it will eventually come, but I guess it's going to be difficult because in some states, as we've discussed earlier, it's just really difficult to to get that information out there because it's not allowed, but it will be eventually.
0: Yeah, I think part of it is, and I think your paper, it was a really, really important first step of your article. Uh, is educating our judges because you know the defense always argues, well, the plaintiff doctors didn't video, the treating doctors didn't videotape their exams, so we just want an even playing field. You know, assuming that doctors that actually have a physician-patient relationship that could be sued or grievous a medical board if they screw up, you know, would have the same motive to misrepresent things.
2: Well, uh, one, one one response for that is if you advise defense, oh, I'm going to send my client to Doctor Smith for a plaintiff's eval, and you tell your client you'll probably be videotaped going there and coming home, but then you can say, look, I advised defense counsel when my client was gonna see this particular doctor and he never asked to videotape, I would've let him do it. So it's his fault that there's not an even playing ground. Right? Yep,
1: that's a good idea. Well, the plaintiff's doctors ought to be able to be doing a superlative job as well if they can't support their opinions then, then their testimony should be stricken. So, so I, I was,
2: worry about some of them too. I'm not so. That, that's the problem
0: is you know we don't always have control over who our clients see, and because of, you know, like I, I practice in communities uh, that are very, very poor. Uh, you know, so the majority of patients are are on Medicaid or some similar formula. The reimbursement rates are very low, and and doctors tend to have fairly short visits uh, and fairly short I, exams, I and so. You know, when I read your paper, you know, a lot of what I just call the slop—the well, they didn't have them put a, a gown on, that they rushed through the exam. I don't like that, but it, it wasn't as shocking to me. But what was absolutely jaw-dropping for me was when there were abnormal findings, findings that would support the plaintiff's injury, that they were either misrepresented or omitted. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Well, uh, if if they didn't look for atrophy and they didn't measure for atrophy, then they wouldn't find atrophy. Right. So that'd be one way. And another way would be um, if they, um, they claimed the cranial nerves were normal, and this is uh, unfortunately a frequent, uh, a frequent sentence I read under neurological examination, cranial nerves two through 12 were normal, or one through 12. We're, or we're grossly normal or WNL. Well, if you ever see that word WNL, really you have to interpret it as we never looked. <laughs> or if they say grossly, anytime the word grossly is used in, as a term for description, it, it means that they didn't check. So we're having this discussion today, and I'm assuming your hearing is grossly normal. <laughs> well, what? it doesn't really mean anything. I don't. You don't need to send somebody to a neurologist to, to, to check that. A neurologist ought to be checking carefully, ear by ear, using a masking technique so that one ear is covered. The, the, the same thing with vision. Each, each cranial nerve has a series of tests that should be performed, and if they're not, you cannot claim that it's normal. You can claim that it's grossly normal, but that means absolutely nothing.
0: Yeah. Are you available? I mean, uh, to you know, give affidavits or testimony in support of the need for uh, videotaping exams? You know, in the and what your research has shown. On individual cases, or in yeah, on individual cases. cases.
1: Well, I, I've s- sort of not. I work for a law firm now, right? I'm in a right. of a law firm, so you know, I, I'm not sure I would ha- have the kind of independent credibility when I work for a plaintiff law firm. But, right. I, but that being said, I could like talk about the concept of it, but in yeah, these cases, is a problem,
0: I think. Yeah, we because well, we've got the article. I just didn't know, you know. That was something I'd
2: love, yeah, I'd like you to consider an affidavit not about because what he doesn't want to he doesn't practice medicine, right yeah. um, but an affidavit like that would not be the practice of medicine. it would just be your observation as you reviewed videos. You're not practicing medicine, you're not diagnosing someone, you're not evaluating someone, but you're reviewing the videos and you're looking at the tapes and the report and documenting the misrepresentations.
0: Yeah, because I'm not talking about a, a tape in an, a, in an individual case. What right. I'm talking he, about he is...
2: for a motion to compel videotaping. Right.
1: Well, that's, not, that's not a problem because I believe that, and it's not an individual case. So, yes.
0: Right. What are some other things, Dorothy, that you all have seen uh, that we need to look out for uh, where they're trying to pull the wool over our eyes?
2: Oh, well, this just happened recently. Um, I I now tell plaintiff's lawyers, when you have a, a scan, this is a brain scan, you have your own expert give you the slice, which takes two seconds. They can pull the slice out that clearly shows the damage, put an arrow to where it is, and identify the series and slice and what structure you're looking at, right? The reason for this is we got a report. This actually happened twice. Recently, we get a report from the defense expert where he has embedded in the body of the report images from the brain scan, and he says there's no atrophy in between these two scans. Well, atrophy is how you can prove TBI, brain injury. So I looked at the scans and I thought, I'm sure I, I didn't trust this doctor at all. I have he's somebody I have unbelievable amount of stuff on, um, and so I presumed that it was a lie just because it was him. I go into the scan. I pull up the same series and slice. Not even close. Not he pulled. He identified something as slice thirteen when slice thirteen did not look anything like that. And uh, he pulled the slice. The uh, some of the other slices that don't show the damage, and he avoided the slices that did. So if they claim something's normal, the first thing we do is we say, do you deny that there's clearer slices in this scan that do show the damage? And because they don't really spend a lot of time looking at the scan, they're too worried to disagree. So they've so far always said, yes, there are better images. I just didn't pull them. I pulled the one that doesn't show the damage. Um, The other thing that that radiologists do, you can white out a tumor, you can white out all kinds of things. Um, the defense radiologist will say there's a herniated disc, but it's not traumatic. Well, according to the literature, you can't determine whether a disc is traumatic or not because you can have pre-existing arthritis, but that doesn't mean you also have a herniated disc. The defense will always say, well, they had pre-existing arthritis, therefore the disc is, her- is old, but they're two different things, Right. So, you know, it's it's a false choice, which is another, I always look for false choices. It's not this, it's that. Well, it can be both. Your client is malingering and it pre-existed. Or your client can't have a brain injury because she had psychiatric problems when she was 12. Yeah, you can have both, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. There was one radiologist and, you know, he kept saying that, you know, there couldn't be, what he did is he redefined the word trauma. He defined the word trauma as like a cut or bleeding. Uh,
2: right. Oh, you know, a, a lot of doctors will to say I, I, that they're swelling, right? There's got to be edema.
0: Right. And, and so, even if MRI was taken six months afterwards. And so, when on one, I'm like, well, is there anything, doctor, any article, any book, anything in the world that, that says what you say and you know, that will agree with you? And finally, after like the fifth depot, he said, Well, Scott Atlas, MRI of the Brain and Spine. And so, before the depot was over, I went on Amazon.com and ordered the book. Uh, and it's a wonderful book. There's a paragraph in there. And uh, I pretty much ended this guy's career with that paragraph because it says, you know, there's been great interest from lawyers and insurance companies about whether uh, you can tell by the lack of these findings that there is, you know, this was pre-existing. And it says there is no legal or factual basis to date uh, when a herniation happened from looking at MRI.
2: Can you send me the page from that book? Yes, and the Okay, that'd be super helpful because I have two articles that say that. But one other thing I tell lawyers to do when they're cross-examining a doctor, if he brings up a book as a reference, just go to Google Scholar, pull the book up and do a word search. A lot of times you can find the key pages for free and immediately in the middle of the deposition say, well, well, doctor, you said such and such book. Could you turn to page 328 and read the second paragraph? And they think you have every book in your office that they reference and you're not, you're just going to Google scholar and, uh, uh, you know, pulling up the digital at, uh, pages from the book. And, doing and, it, works. and,
0: it, and it is amazing. Uh, and I think, I don't know, again, if it's the arrogance or the sociopathy, but they'll, they'll reference all this literature and I guess they just assume we're not going to read it.
2: They do. And you know, that's, that is something, I try to pull all key articles referenced in a, a, a report because usually when there's a ton of articles, It's a template. They cut and paste it because nobody's going to sit down and pull the articles for each case, which means that A, they're saying it in all cases, and B, I'm confident they never read the article. And so when I'm cross-examining them, I'll say, and Dr. Hunter participates with me in depositions. He's announced on the record. We never do it secretly. And when the doctor references an article, he'll go out and buy it immediately, OCR it and highlight in the article where it says the opposite of what the doctor just said, And so a tip for the lawyer is first you establish, well, doctor, and this is a briar patch technique, doctor, how is this article even scientific at all? You know, he thinks you don't want it to be scientific. So he then says, Oh, it's very scientific. It's great. I relied on it. And you do that with all the articles. And then I go in and I'll read from the article, doctor, wouldn't you agree such and such? No. What about this? What about this? Then when I'm done, I then bring the articles to them and attach them and say, I was reading from the article you referenced because they, you're right. They don't read the articles and that's, you know, we should be doing a better job as lawyers. I didn't used to do that. I didn't used to pull them.
0: It's a lot of work. And I think they take advantage of the fact that a lot of us have busy practices, but you know, we have a a brain injury case. And my partner, Mallory Peacock, I think you've met her. uh, She pulled the articles and she found over 30 of the articles the doctor referenced actually said the opposite of what she referenced them for and actually supported our position and not hers.
2: Yeah, that's perfect because you can count on them just being lazy.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Thank you to everyone who attended Cowan's Big Rig Boot Camp in August. We had an excellent virtual turnout this year and are already thinking of how we can continue to raise that bar for next year. If you'd like to attend virtually in 2021, be sure to mark May 20th, 2021 on your calendar now and save the date. To stay updated with details as they become available, visit BigRigBootCamp.com and sign up for our mailing list. And now back to the show.
0: So Dorothy, what are some other things you found that really have been helpful when you're deposing these uh, deceptive uh, defense witnesses?
2: One thing is I like to have the plaintiff present Because especially if the doctor is saying the patient is a liar, I'll put the patient right next to the doctor. I'll get there early, and I can always figure out where the doctor needs to sit because it's an ego thing. It's at the head of the table. I put the patient next to the doctor, and then the doctor will come in and say he can't be there. Well, yes, he can. Uh, Doctor, I'd like you to look at Mr. Jones and Tell him to his face that he's a liar, because that's what you're testifying to. And when you do this by video, they get very agitated. And I had one woman who was a wreck from a brain injury, and she's just like this. Her hair wasn't combed. She looked a mess. And he wrote in his report that she looked very happy and was clearly not depressed. I said, doctor, you know, we're on video. You see my client. Is it your testimony here today that she's not depressed and she looks fine? And he turned his back and folded his arms and says, I'm not answering that question. So, um, awesome. yeah, yeah. I mean, and the other thing, too, is having a doctor present. I like to have a doctor present during certain depositions, uh, medical depositions, because what it does is, again, you know, I always try to give advance notice of this. It tells the witness, hey, if you're going to make crap up, we're going to catch you. And they get very much more constrained. And, and Dr. Hunter has a theory. It's called the halo effect. They don't want to appear dishonest to another member of their profession. Uh, In fact, we did that with somebody that actually used to be his partner, his medical partner in Texas. Uh, We went to Texas, cross-examined her, and we knew her. He was her medical partner, and it went very well because he was right there. Yeah. Yeah. And Texas, something about Texas, man, y'all have some strange witnesses. It's the only state in the union where I had a 2020 van with a crew and a cameraman waiting for me to complete a cross-examination so they could jump out and (laughs) <laughs> and inter- intercept the doctor, because what he was saying was so insane.
0: That's awesome. And it is insane, what what, what people say. I mean, the, yeah. the, my yeah. partner, Sonia Rodriguez, had one where, you know, a woman was raped, and he just, his basic opinion was, well, he's treated a lot of rape victims that had had much worse ha- things happen, and he <laughs> eventually, she got on She's not dead, right?
2: but,
0: Yeah, well, you know, there was no, she wasn't stabbed, she wasn't lit on fire, she wasn't, you know, beaten. And so he got her, she eventually got him to say, So, your opinion is basically this rape wasn't that bad. And so, and then try to get him to get criteria for what, you know, what is a, what rapes aren't bad? What, when is it okay to be yeah. raped?
2: What makes it bad? Yeah, exactly. And, uh,
0: the case resolved very quickly after that deposition. Well, anything else that you all want to talk about while well, I got you here? We're pretty much up on time, but if there's something else we want to bring up,
2: I think just presume everything's not true and verify everything. If a doctor says they're board certified, is it a legitimate organization? There's one organization that board certified a cat. Uh, So, you know, just because someone claims training, uh, if somebody claims they got something from Harvard, verify it. I've found about 80% of the time when they use the word Harvard in their CV, it's not true. And they can't, you know, they'll claim a fellowship. I mean, I taught at Harvard. I legitimately did. But it was through the medical school. And Harvard has no record of me teaching. And the same is true with a lot of these other people. And one other last thing to say, if somebody works for a university, um, what you need to do is find out what the rules are for outside income. Because a lot of these defense experts will write a report on university letterhead. And you're not allowed to do that if you're keeping the money. It's a private double dipping side gig but yeah. they do it they don't follow rules and jurors don't like that and so you ask them you know here's the law in at your university you're supposed to get permission ahead of time for conflict of interest and uh you know you didn't do that you didn't apply you didn't follow rules
0: yeah it's an interesting how jurors sometimes it's, it's the little things that uh, make make doctors lose credibility there's one doctor that testifies all the time and he'll always testify that he doesn't remember how much money he makes. He has no idea. Right. And he he can't remember the name of the CPA. (laughs) And he's given a hundred depots that we have now where he says he can't remember the name of the CPA. And no juror believes that a medical doctor doesn't know who a CPA is.
2: (laughs) Of course not. And if you say, do you deny making a million dollars a year? I don't know. Two million, five million, you get up to 20 million. Then you say, don't you think doctor, most people remember making $20 million last year? If you can't remember that, how can you remember anything about this exam?
0: Yeah, exactly. And it just just goes to show he's just playing a game because he doesn't want anyone to subpoena the CPA. Right. Which we would probably never really get to do anyway. But, you know, I'd I'd much rather have the answer. I don't remember my CPA's name than to actually get the documents, to tell you the truth.
2: Exactly. Exactly. I actually had one witness say his CPA was his cat.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. This is a
2: guy that had a medical degree and, and was a doctor. He was legitimately a doctor at Johns Hopkins. Turns out he never went to medical school.
0: Yep. It happened with lawyers too. When I was, uh, decades ago, when I first went to work in New York City as a big, in my former life as a big firm lawyer, uh, we actually had to go show them our license. And it, it turned out that someone had graduated from a prestigious law school. They got a job at a big law firm. They made partner. They were working on all these multi-million dollar corporate deals, and they had never passed the bar.
2: In wow. <laughs> wow. And so it's
0: a huge scandal. You know, law firms are having to give back hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in fees that were charged by, you know,
2: someone
0: was yeah. never even a lawyer a- at New York, Wall Street firm rates, which is insane. Oof. So, you know, it happens the doctors. It happens lawyers. We, we have to check and verify because they are out there lying to us. Right. Well, thank you so much. And for y'all that want to follow up more, you know, Dorothy does and Dr. Hunter have some great services. Our firm uses them um, to get background information and, and help us go through the literature and find out the stuff. Uh, in the show notes, they will have links to the website and also where you can read Dr. Hunter's article and where you can buy uh, Dorothy's great book, uh, Deposing Deceptive Defense Doctors. Thank you all very much. Thank you for joining us on Trial Law Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Law Nation, sign up for our mailing list at TrialLawNation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive plaintiff lawyer only content and live monthly discussions with me, send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation.
3: Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and company vehicle cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We have experience finding potential defendants that other firms miss, and we've added millions of dollars to cases by finding these sources of recovery. If you have a catastrophic injury or death case where the policy limits appear to be insufficient, give us a call. If we can find another defendant, we can partner on the case. And if we can't, then we won't ask for any of the fees. You can reach Delisey Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail.